good and gracious God, as we come to you this morning, let us be reminded of your goodness, your graciousness, that you are our creator in whom there is no shadow. You are a God of light, a good God at that. And so as we open up your word this morning, Lord, speak to us. Move me out of the way so that you may receive the glory that you are due. Because you are God and you are worthy to be praised. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and open that Bible to Romans chapter 8 or in the Pew Bible, it's page 983, but you can find Romans. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, and then Romans in the New Testament. And Romans is actually the first epistle uh, in the New Testament. And it's one of Paul's greatest work. It's the first epistle we see, but it's also the greatest one. And so let's open together to Romans chapter 8 this morning. And as you find your way there, I first want to give you a little uh, preview. Maybe it's not so much a preview. But when we hear the word election in America, our minds immediately jump to the first Tuesday of every November, or every fourth November, or every four years, my goodness, every four years, it jumps to a Tuesday in November, and that Tuesday might bring anxiety to you, it might bring a great amount of joy to you, you might not even know what I'm talking about, and that's okay, right? That Tuesday is Election Tuesday. Every four years, we have the opportunity to elect our next president of the United States. And maybe for some, it's not a dramatic event, and for others, it might be a world-crushing blow when you wake up the next day and find out the person you didn't vote for was voted into office. You see, election in our country carries significance. It means something to each and every one of us, whether for the good or for the bad. We all know what it's meant by the election cycle when someone is elected. And whether or not candidates get elected is primarily because of policies they espouse, the, the background that they might have, the promises that they make and are expected to keep. And if they're to be re-elected, it's probably because they kept their promises. They made our country a better place to live or whatever it might be. So we know kind of, what it means to be elect, or at least elected, in our country. But this morning, 
We need to shift gears. We need to shift our minds into a new idea of hearing the word election and elect and what it means for us individually as citizens in the kingdom of heaven. You see, the election that we are talking about is very different. In our country, we the people elect our president. But as citizens of heaven, we the people are elected by our God. And so today is part two of our series, Are You New Here? It is a journey in discovering what it means to be a part of First Pres, what it is that we believe, and then how do we apply that to our lives in our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we are talking about election. And so the, the most base place as to where to start about that word, that term, is I want to give you a definition. And this is from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. Wayne Grudem writes, Election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign and good pleasure. So this is Wayne Grudem's definition of election, and I tend to think that it's a good one, which is why I shared it with you this morning. But I want us to start unpacking what this means. What, what does that have to do with me? Why do I have to answer the question, am I elect? What does it mean to be elect? How am I elect? What do I do knowing that I am elect? And so let us read from our passage this, this morning in Romans 8, 28 through 30. And so if you have your Bible, you may go ahead and follow along as I read. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. My question for you this morning is you hear that passage, do you hear the language of election? Do you see the places in those three verses that demonstrate God's choosing of his people? Let's read it one more time, and I'll place some emphasis on some of those words. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose— because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also 
glorified. As we hear this passage in Romans, we hear a whole bunch of language surrounding election, this idea that God chooses some people. There is a select group of people that God has chosen for himself. Oftentimes, this is a difficult doctrine to hear and to believe. We hear it and we wonder, well, how could God choose some and not others? And we'll unpack that a little bit this morning. But I also want us to hear from Ephesians chapter 1, also Paul in verses 4 and 5, because he talks a little bit more about this. He says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love by predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And so as we hear that passage in Ephesians, also from Paul, we, we hear more about how God chose us even before he began to create anything, even before we were even knit in our mother's womb, God had already predestined those whom he would choose to eternal life. And so I want us to make clear that, that this election, that this, this choosing is clearly written in Scripture. It is present within it. And we can see that Actually, there's this one moment in Acts, and I can't really remember the specific passage and verse, but if you want it, I will give it to you when afterwards, and I'll go look it up. But there's this moment when Luke is writing in Acts, and it's almost just a passing note that he makes, but he says that all the, I think it's the Bereans, when they were being, when they were receiving the gospel for the first time from Paul and from Barnabas, Luke actually writes in Acts that, uh, all those who God had chosen heard what was said and believed. It's like a passing note, but it's a passing note because it's almost what was expected. It was a commonly held belief at the time that, that God chose those whom he would have saved. In fact, if you just, in our uh, Romans passage, if you actually just turn one more page or it might be on the same page for some of you, depending. But in chapter 9, we actually begin to hear about the story of Jacob and Esau. And how in the story of Jacob and Esau, it says that God chose Jacob so that his work of election would be continued. And it wasn't because of any merit or any work of Jacob, because if we all remember Jacob, he was a kind of a deceptive guy, right? I mean, he cheated his brother out of his birthright. He cheated his brother out of a blessing. Uh, he cheated Laban out of a daughter. I mean, so you can kind of see that Jacob was not chosen out of his merit, out of his works. In fact, that's the very next thing that we have to understand is that our election, our choosing, isn't because of anything that I have done or anything 
that you have done. In fact, last week, we were talking about grace. And in our discussion about grace, we talked about depravity, total depravity, the T in tulip, one of the five points of what it means to be reformed. And we had defined total depravity as this idea that no matter what we do, no matter how good we might think that we have done it, it is still marred in some way, shape, or form by sin because sin touches every single aspect of our lives. There is nothing that is not also marked with sin. And so our election then, even with that in mind, is not because of our works at all. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, it says, oh, sorry, not verse 9. Where did it go? 5. 4. Why did this disappear? I wrote it down completely wrong. Oh, 1. I'm sorry. It's chapter 1, verse 9. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So it wasn't according to works, but according to his own purposes. According to God's own will, his own choosing, did he choose who would be the elect, who would be saved? In fact, if we remember from Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, we've all heard this uh, verse before in some way, shape, or form, that all our deeds, all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, filthy garments to the Lord. And so there is no amount of good work that we could do that would even begin to merit or earn God's selection of us towards righteousness. So why did God choose us? Well, I think in so many ways that remains a mystery. I can't tell you why God chose me because if I'm quite frank and honest, I wouldn't have chosen me. Uh, I know me, I know my deeds, I know my thoughts, I sometimes know the intentions of my heart, and I would be like, no way, that guy gets a pass. Just like right over him, I'm going to go to the next person. But our Ephesians verses actually illumine a little bit. It actually says, again, in Ephesians 4, and five, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. It was in love that he chose us, that he predestined us to the adoptions of sons and daughters. Cannot tell you how he chose to love us, but it was in his love. And so this actually gets to the second point in tulip, you, unconditional election. There is absolutely nothing that you or I could do to earn God's love toward us to choose us to be saved. It is simply the working of a God who is far greater, far majestic, far more sovereign 
than any of us could ever be. And so he chose us to that salvation. And so knowing that, knowing that there are some that God choose, and that the reason he chooses them is his own sovereign will because of his love and his purposes, how do we then respond to that election? Well, I can tell you I have been in the presence of many who believe themselves to be the elect of God, and they are the most um, difficult people in the world. (laughs) Because they think that they have obtained something far greater than everybody else. That somehow it makes them better than everybody else. But when we understand truly the doctrine of sovereign election, unconditional election, we realize that it's not because of anything that I can do and not because of anything that I will do or because of anything that I have done. So election actually creates within us a deep humility for the mercy of God within. It is that the Lord, in some unexplainable way, chose me. And I should not boast in that, that there is something good in me that God saw, but I should be humble enough to present that to the world. In fact, in Thessalonians, when Paul is writing to them, he says, I thank God because of how you responded to the gospel. It was in the way in which you responded, I knew that God chose you. And so I thank him every day for your belief, for your faith. It evokes a humility within us, a gratitude that we are the elect of God. It's not something that we lord over others, but something that we humbly present to those around us. I think the second thing that being elect does for us is it being, brings us a great amount of comfort. Romans eight twenty eight, and we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. When you know that you have been chosen by God, He is doing something in your life. He is working something out for you, and so it has to be good. God doesn't choose those whom He wants to be in relationship simply to then abandon them and forsake them, right? This is why we know that He will never leave us nor forsake us. I was once asked the question, how can I be assured of my salvation? And I think Romans 8.28 makes it quite clear. If there is any love for God in your heart, then you know that you are saved. Because it is not by any means of your own power that you put that love within yourself. But it was by the very act of God choosing you that you are able to have that love for him. And so for me, that's of great consolation and great joy, knowing that 
there is absolutely nothing in my life that I can do that would ever forsake the love of God. There's nothing in my life that, that made me stir up this love for him within my own heart. It is simply this knowledge that because I love him, because I acknowledge him, because I'm known by him, then it must mean that he has chosen me and therefore I don't have to have any worries about the salvation that I have because he gave it. And it lives within me in this form of faith and love toward him. And so it's not that salvation is upon me. It is that salvation is upon God. In fact, David remarks in Psalm 51 when he's repenting of his sin toward God when he slept with Bathsheba. He even says, return to me the joy of your salvation. It is God's salvation and is not my own. And so that should bring us great comfort. Election actually gives us an assurance of salvation that, that no other doctrine really can. And then lastly, the purpose of our election is to the encouragement of those around us. Romans is very clear in our passage today he works all those things to the get together for those who love him. Why? Because you are called according to his purposes. And those whom he has called, he has justified. And those whom he has justified, he has glorified. Be encouraged that your life has purpose because God has called you. He has, he has given this call in your life. He has called you to salvation because there is a meaning for it. He has a reason to have called you because he wants to use you for his kingdom. For revealing his kingdom to your friends and your family, to your neighbors and to your strangers. God has a purpose. And when we start to put all these things together, we start to put humility in its right place and we realize that we can be comforted by what we have received, then we can also respond to the call to be Christ to the world. We have this obligation now as the elect of God to share what it is that we have received that we may glorify God through it. In fact, in that same uh, area in 2 Timothy, we read in chapter 2, and this is why I got confused because I was also reading chapter 2, verse 10, it says this. This is Paul. He says, it's for this reason that I endure all things for the sake of the elect, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And so it is through our own receiving of the gift of grace by hearing the gospel and then being able to respond to the gospel with love in our hearts for God that we know that we are elect and chosen by God and therefore we now have that same responsibility to share the gospel with those around us because the truth is we don't know who is elect and who is not. But when we share the gospel and they respond to that gospel truth, then we get to participate 
in what God is doing through choosing those who we would be in relationship with, that they would hear the word of God and then respond because God has put his grace upon them and then they believe. And we get to see that belief. And we have now participated in the great work of God toward the election of the saints for all eternity. And that is a joy for us all. Not that just our joy of salvation would be for us, but it would also be a joy for others. And so I know there's kind of a hard thing to wrap our head around, and I didn't even get into any of the uh, pushbacks against it, because I don't know if there's a lot of time for that, but I would love to talk about it more if that's something you want to hear. But know today, that God has chosen you and is working in you and through you. And that is good news, thanks to his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you for the gift of election. Lord, it really is a gift. It's the only way, really, that we can have any assurance of salvation because you have put within us a heart of love for you that could not be there apart from you. And so if we even have the smallest amount of faith, it is because you have placed it within us, which means you have chosen us. And so, Lord, then let us also respond in kind by telling the world in humility what we have received in you and that those whom you have elected would hear and respond the same way that we have and in the way that we have received great joy because of our salvation would they also too receive the joy of theirs a salvation that comes from you and so Lord we love you and we thank you and it's in Jesus name we pray Amen